Welcome to the Clued in Mystery Podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. So Brooke, today we're going to talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and I'm really excited about this. I am too. I'm excited to move from Agatha Christie. We've covered the Queen of Crime, and now we're going to talk about a predecessor, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was born in Edinburgh in 1859. He was the second of seven children, and he was very close with his mother, who loved books, and she passed her storytelling gifts on to Arthur. His immediate family was not as well off as his other relations, and the wealthier branch paid to send him to boarding school, which, consistent with the educational philosophy of the time, was rather harsh. And while he was away at school, he started writing to his mother regularly, which he continued to do throughout his life. His first wife, Louisa, died after they'd been married for 19 years. He met his second wife, Jean, while married to Louisa, but Arthur and Jean had a platonic relationship until his first wife died. He had five children, none of whom went on to have children of their own, so he has no direct descendants, but he does have grandnieces and grandnephews who are currently part of his estate and legacy. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is credited with the success of the Strand magazine, which is where uh, many of his works first appeared. And so his first Sherlock's Holmes story actually was published in the Strand magazine in one of its first issues, and that was in 1891. But he actually started writing before that. He started writing while he He was studying medicine in Edinburgh, and his first short stories were published in 1879 during that time. He wrote his first Sherlock Holmes novel, A Study in Scarlet, in 1886, and that was published the next year. Between 1887 and 1927, he wrote a total of four novels and 56 short stories that featured Holmes. And he actually killed Holmes off in 1893 after 27 stories and after pleas from publishers and, and fans ended up bringing him back eight years later and went on to write another 31 stories between 1901 and 1927. In addition to writing detective stories, he wrote fantasy, science fiction, historical novels for a total of 22 novels, 13 stage works, four volumes of poetry, 10 nonfiction books, 13 books about spiritualism, and over 200 short stories and articles, so a very prolific career. He was knighted in 1902, and this was after working at a field hospital during the Boer War. He was officially knighted for services to the Crown during the Boer War. But apparently King Edward was quite a big fan of Sherlock Holmes, so you know perhaps that had something to do with, with it as well. Outside of writing, he lived a varied life. He ran unsuccessfully for political office. He was very sporty. He played football, cricket. He is credited with judging the first bodybuilding competition. <laughs> he was an amateur boxer, a golfer. He's credited with popularizing uh, downhill skiing. Uh, I saw in one place that suggested that he invented downhill skiing, but I'm not sure if that's the case or if he just was because he because of who he was and because he enjoyed it, you know, other people took up the sport as well. Because of his writing detective stories, he became interested in investigating true crime and investigated two closed cases, which ended up in their convictions being overturned. You think about the popularity of true crime podcasts now and, and you know, the investigations that people do into closed cases or unsolved cases. And I can kind of imagine him doing mm-hmm. something similar without having that the platform of a podcast but sort of following that same process he was a big believer in spiritualism Uh, in the later part of his life 
spent a lot of time searching for poltergeists, attending seances. Um, He believed in psychic abilities. And he actually performed what is described as spiritualist missionary work in Australia and New Zealand and gave talks in Europe and in the United States about spiritualism. He was linked to a hoax that involved a fossil that was believed to be an early human. So he really had a varied life in addition to all of the the writing that he was doing. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle died in 1930 from a heart attack in Crowborough in in the United Kingdom. That was so interesting, Sarah. I learned lots of things about Doyle that I didn't know before. Like I didn't know that he didn't have any direct descendants. I thought that was really interesting because I knew that he had been um, married twice. So I think I just had the assumption that, you know, he had children. Um, I love that he wrote those letters to his mother. Like that was a really endearing thing about him that he continued to write those letters and stay in touch with his mother. I know that his mom had some feelings about him killing Sherlock Holmes off. And I believe in a letter she told him not to do it. So that was neat. Um, Yeah. And I also loved learning more about the spiritualist side of him because he was so dedicated to science and really wanted Sherlock to be solving his cases based on scientific theories. But yet he had this other side to him that was like a complete other side of the coin where he believed in uh, spirits and seances and fairies and things like that. So very, very interesting. I loved that. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really interesting as well. And of the works that he wrote, I've only read things from the Sherlock Holmes area of his writing. But one of his science fiction books is called The Lost World, and it's actually what inspired the book Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton's wow. Jurassic Park. So it you know it, it features uh, ancient animals that have survived time. I think it's really interesting that he had so many interests and pursued them in his writing. By far, he's most well known for his Sherlock Holmes. You know that certainly is what brought him to success, and perhaps that's what gave him the space to explore his other interests and you know the other things that he ended up writing about. Yeah, that's true because the Sherlock stories really you know, they paid the bills, whether he liked it or not. And I think he had um, mixed emotions about being considered a a genre fiction author or commercial fiction. Um, you're right. They did pay the bills. He became sort of his own art patron and it allowed him the space to write some of his other literary things or, um, or the short stories that don't have Sherlock Holmes in them. I was surprised to learn that there are like a hundred short stories that don't feature Sherlock Holmes. I actually read uh, in in learning more about him, The Lady of Sanix, and it is so creepy and very like Poe feeling to it. And so it's it's neat that he had that liberty to be able to expand and and write all the different types of work that he wanted to. And I don't think that probably the casual reader realizes that that was the case. Because he wrote so many stories that featured Sherlock Holmes, you could spend so much time just reading those, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there are there are people who who do that and and I think one of the things that's most fascinating about him is 
the legacy that comes from Sherlock Holmes, right? The, you know, there's societies dedicated to that character. Uh, You know, we can talk a little bit about all of the different adaptations and interpretations of that character. But, you know, there are people who are very passionate about Sherlock Holmes, which actually makes me a little bit reluctant to talk too much about Doyle because, Mm -hmm. you know, I know there are people who have studied far more than I have about him and know so much more about him. And like, I, I, I don't know if I can think of many other people that inspire that kind of passion. Of course, there are, there are other literary societies, but I wonder if there's anyone who has left this legacy of as many different societies. You know, if you Google Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, there's, you know, several websites that feature bios and, you know, information about him and, and his life and, and all of his works, right? So, you know, he's he's someone that has inspired a lot of passion and a lot of discussion. And one of the things that that came up a couple of times was how if you do a survey now about which historical characters or historical personalities are real or fictional, <laughs> a surprising amount of people think that Sherlock Holmes was a real person. Yes. Right? Yes. And um, an equally surprising amount think that Winston Churchill was, was fictional. I, I think that speaks to Sherlock's place in popular culture. Precisely. And even in Doyle's day, there were people who assumed that Sherlock Holmes was a real guy living on Baker Street and would show up, you know, look, knocking on the door because they wanted him to solve a case for them or, or would, um, you know, send letters uh, requesting that Sherlock Holmes help them with something. And so it started really early where there's this assumption that it was this real person. I think that it was also a huge selling point to his stories and the success of them because I read that the comment was that it felt like it could be real, you know, because he was writing about a real neighborhood or real streets of London in the same time period. And so it really created this sense that like, you know, you might turn the corner and walking down London in the late 1800s and, and see Sherlock Holmes, you know, he might be uh, prowling the neighborhood looking for clues. Like he really set it up to be that feeling that it, he was a real guy. And it worked because like you said, it's actually like a whole culture, a whole society that or societies that have built up around studying him. And I guess I would even go so far as to say like emulating him or wanting to be like him. So it's, it's, amazing. And mm-hmm. I agree with you. I don't think there are any other any other characters or authors who have reached that. Maybe someday somebody will be talking about Harry Potter in this way. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a good point. I, and I think there are Harry Potter events, right? And, and there's amusement parks that are built up, recapture some of the scenes in the, mm-hmm. in the films. So there is some of that. And, and, you know, yeah, maybe maybe Harry Potter. But I wonder if the fans grow out of Harry Potter mm. but people don't grow out of out of Sherlock I don't know that could also explain sort of the like you mentioned the different variations of Sherlock because in maybe in order to keep it alive and as powerful you know we've brought him into the 20th century um, sometimes Watson is portrayed as a female we've kept it fresh and alive as as readers and as fans 
it's definitely thriving, continuing. And I would agree with you. Like I do not want to say that I'm an expert on Sherlock Holmes at all. There are people out there who know so much more about his work and about him, but I just, I would just say I'm a fan and I'm interested in learning more because he's such a fascinating author uh, in this genre. Yeah, well, and and I think Doyle certainly can be credited with popularizing detective fiction, right? Uh-huh. And that detective and his sidekick investigating really difficult cases. I read a couple of his short stories where he actually was was unsuccessful, right? Someone would mm-hmm. come to him and say, I, I need some help. And then, you know, the story concludes with his client dying, right? So oh. Holmes being unsuccessful in preventing that from happening. And he figures out who was behind mm-hmm. it, but isn't successful in keeping his client alive, which, you know, there's probably not a lot of that that we see. The sleuth will prevail. I wonder how the fact that these were written serialized and released because um, rather than you know, the arc of one long novel, for instance, then, you know, they you want your sleuth to prevail at the end. But because they were done kind of as episodic or in episodes, you're going to have those ups and downs of the flow of the story. You're going to have the, the dark moment when you think your character is just never going to be able to prevail. And so in a sense, those failures of the little short stories were kind of like creating that, um, that overarching plot line that kept readers coming back because you, you know, you want to see him win the next time. It's actually, I don't have to say he's a genius. We know it, but it's very genius. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, he's left a big, a big legacy Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know if I would be writing mysteries were it not for him popularizing the genre. For sure. Well, and This is sort of a little off topic, but I found this super fun because my daughter is currently taking a forensic science class in high school. And she came home the other day and said, did you know that we only have forensic science because of Sherlock Holmes? And it's, I liked, I always thought in my mind that those sciences were developing in the um, 19th century and So he extrapolated and created Sherlock Holmes, who would then solve these cases based on scientific means. But no, it actually happened reverse. Sherlock Holmes' story, so he created this sleuth who was not going to find things out coincidentally or by word of mouth. He was going to um, have these scientific and medical solutions to cases. And it got the police departments thinking, hey that's actually a really great idea. Maybe we should try to solve crime like that. And so it happened in reverse. Literature actually shaped the way crimes are solved in our world. And it was very fortuitous that she learned that this week because now I can talk about it here. That is fascinating. I thought the same thing as you that mm-hmm. it had, you know, he was inspired by scientific developments, but wow. Yeah. It made me really proud to be an author, to be honest. Like, you know, art matters. A hundred percent. No, I didn't realize that. Well, and we'll talk about this later, but the fact that he started being involved in investigations, right? That, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you said, he he would receive Mm -hmm. letters asking for Sherlock to investigate. There must have been something in, you know, a couple of those letters that inspired him to actually do it himself, right? I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing that 
I was going to say he must have had to learn about the the police methods, but he, if he was shaping them, then I guess he didn't. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. And he definitely had his medical background to lean on. You know, he was actually a surgeon. You know, he, he had more practical skills than a lot of us who write mysteries. But still, I'm with you. I can't ever imagine saying that I could do it in real life. So it's so fascinating, those stories. And, and we'll talk more about those. I mentioned, you know, I read some of his stories to prepare for this. One of my favorites was one of the ones in which Sherlock was unsuccessful. I don't know if you read Five Orange Pips. No, I didn't. So the other thing that struck me about this, in addition to Holmes being unsuccessful, was that the story talks about the KKK. And we talked about this with Christy, where she wasn't afraid to kind of talk about things that were happening in the real world, right? Or, you know, events that had that had happened. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting, this element being part of this story. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I read The Crooked Man. And, you know, there are some cultural and kind of societal things that he brings up in that story, too. And I had the same thought. I thought, oh, we talked about this in Christy, how she wasn't afraid to kind of have a little commentary on some of those things that were influencing their world at the time. And I think it's interesting. We shy away from it much more, at least that's my feeling in our era. And I really have to tip my hat that they were brave enough to, I don't think they ever shared very strict political views one way or another, but they definitely were commenting on what was happening. And it makes it a really good part of a historical read then too, because you get that context. It it makes it all the more fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree. I think that present day authors tend to shy away from those what could be considered controversial topics. And I think we can look to how Christie and how Doyle, as you say, didn't make any political commentary, but acknowledged that those were things that were happening. Yeah. Right. And clearly audiences were receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It added another layer of what we said before that it made it feel so real to them. You know, they were living that too, and it just helped create that the world for them, the the literary world for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I wanted to mention is, um, you know, I talked about the letters that that he wrote to his mom, and, and you said you actually saw them. One of the websites that I looked at, and I'll make sure that it goes in the show notes. You can see copies of the letters that he wrote. Mm. And they have several of them. So there's there's a lot of information and a lot that you could dig into about him, you know, if, if you wanted to learn more. Again, I, d- I don't know if there's many other authors that have that kind of status. Right. In people's minds and in, and in people's lives. Even if you're not a mystery fan or somebody who reads in this genre a lot, everybody knows who Sherlock Holmes is. And I mean, that goes back to what you said earlier, that some people think that Winston Churchill is a is a, a fictional character and Sherlock Holmes is not. I mean, everyone knows who Sherlock Holmes is. And I don't know that, you know, you probably couldn't even say the same thing for Poirot or Miss Marple. You could put that name out there and people wouldn't necessarily automatically know who that is, but everyone knows who Sherlock Holmes is. That's a really good point. And I think it's it's not just everyone in kind of the English speaking world. Mm-hmm. You know, I imagine that's that's true for internationally. Good point. 
we watched a modern day interpretation or adaptation uh, and it was called Ms. Sherlock and it was Japanese. The Sherlock character was a woman, as was Watson, the, the Watson character. But, you know, she was a consulting detective for the um, Tokyo police and had a lot of those characteristics that you associate with Sherlock. She had a little scientific laboratory where mm-hmm. she could do a little bit of analysis. She was abrupt and she was perhaps socially awkward and, and didn't have uh, a wide circle of friends. What I thought was interesting is that Sherlock acknowledges that. And I don't remember which of the stories it was that I read where he does that, where mm-hmm. like he, he knew he had flaws, which I thought was was interesting. Certainly in the source material, he knew he, knew he had flaws. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know if some of that self-awareness came later, like after he uh, came back from the dead, so to speak, if Doyle worked out some of the things that he didn't like writing Sherlock, if he made him maybe a little more personable, I don't know, likable later, I don't know the timing of that story, but it makes me wonder if if he found ways to enjoy writing him more. That's a really good question. And I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that just adds to what you mentioned earlier about his being relatable, mm-hmm. right? Because he had these flaws. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't this perfect, perfect detective. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, he's not relatable, right? Like he puts these incredibly ingenious things together and we feel more like Watson. At least I do. When I read a story, I follow along feeling like kind of like the bumbling Watson sometimes, but yeah. So you need that balance of the things that are not as likable to some of those more, um, maybe, uh, inward personal things about him. So I think that's, I think that was a a good choice. Okay. Well, I think that is it for right now. We will do, this is just the first of a couple of episodes that we're going to do about Doyle. In the next one, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those adaptations as well as how and how it was that he wrote. So we can talk about that in the next episode as well. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd love to hear what you think. You can reach us at hello at cluedinmystery.com or send us a note on Instagram at cluedinmystery. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at cluedinmystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.